When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It's Berg Steeler fans. Welcome back to another episode of The Hangover. I'm Daniel, and alongside with me, as always, is Shannon. Shannon, how are you doing today? Wonderful. Beautiful day. Nice 70s. It's been hotter than that, but it's 70s right now. Just beautiful. So I've had a, I've had a wonderful day. How about you? It's been great, man. It's been it's been great. We had a pretty good weekend. My uh, my wife's family uh, was in town, and they had some some younger younger kids that were on the same age as my daughters, and so they came over. They had a at a uh, uh, slumber party, so to speak. So we had a water balloon fight yesterday, and <laughs> and, a, and a barbecue and things of that nature. So it was yeah. it was been a lot of fun. It was a it was an exciting weekend. Today's been a lot of rest. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know, today we continue our you know our debate on you know ranking positional players. Uh, but before we do, uh, I wanted to touch on a few rumors that have been kind of circling around the interwebs. And the first one is that there's some possibility of some camp holdouts, potentially one being a, uh, you know, second round draft pick, Joy Porter Jr., who hasn't yet to sign his rookie contract. Uh, I, for one, don't think that those rumors are too high. But what are your thoughts on the possibility of Joy Porter Jr. not uh, being there for training camp? Uh I think it's so much to do about nothing. I've heard the same rumors. And with the way the salary cap is now and all these rookie contracts are slotted. So the the what makes this year different is usually the 32nd pick is the last pick of the first round. Mm-hmm. And you can get that fifth-year option because it's a first-round draft pick. The the They're just staggered, the, the contracts are. So you kind of know about, uh, what he's going to get paid regardless. But one, he doesn't have the fifth-year option because he's the first pick of the second round. Well, then uh, Keanu Benton has partial amount of his third year guaranteed in his contract, which that's the first time the Steelers have ever done that. And so I'm sure that has something to do with it. And the Joey Porter Jr. saying, hey, I was taken before Benton, and, you know, I'm actually in the 32nd slot, and I'm sure he's wanting some kind of um, recognition, 
and compensation for that. So right. I figure they're just quibbling a little bit, you know, getting these numbers straight. He hasn't missed anything yet. We're still a couple of weeks away from camp, and I believe that it'll get taken care of. I do too. I think it will be taken care of. I don't think that um, – I think that it'll be taken care of before camp starts. You know, yep. Porter missing developmental aspect of football and training camp would be huge. I mean, that would be a huge, uh, you know, step back in his development. Mm-hmm. It would be um, a huge step back in the trajectory in which the Pittsburgh Steelers see um, Joey Porter Jr. being a um, a contributor on the defensive side of the football. And so, you know, in my opinion, I think it would be a, a mistake on, on his end to do so. I think mm-hmm. he needs to get in there. He needs to build – chemistry and uh, camaraderie around amongst his teammates. And he also needs to get a feel for the, for the playbook and how other players um, are, you know, positioning themselves and are, um, you know, working out the plays. And so in in my opinion, I think it would be a huge step back for him. I don't think it's going to end up happening. I think it happens before camp starts, but if, even if it doesn't, I think he still shows. Um, One thing about it is, we got to remember, he's dad's Joey Porter Sr. That's true. That is true. And he knows the Steelers and the Roonies and how they conduct and handle their business, you know, better than most. So I have to feel like that he's going to be like, you know, I'm sure he's like, hey, guys, let's get this worked out. And, you know, this is legacy. You want him here. He wants to be here. That's going to help get this worked out. But we know that the Steelers – you know, they don't respond well to threats, uh, threatening holdouts and stuff of that nature. You know, <laughs> ask Le'Veon Bell. So right. I feel like that this is will get handled and it's not going to be a big deal at all. 100%. 100%. Now, the other rumor of a possible holdout slash hold in, and I think this one probably has a little bit more weight to it, is uh, Alex Highsmith and the reference of the actually not participating in training camp. Um, he is also, I believe, in his last year of his contract. Um, he's not getting paid very much. Uh, I think it's like $3 million this year. Yeah, he had double-digit sacks last year. Um, you know, I know that there's been, you know, some communication with him and some leaks of that he's stated that things are going swimmingly or appropriately. Um, but it's also sparked up the rumor, not only is he going to hold in or hold out, uh, but that he could be on the trading block. What are your thoughts on Alex Highsmith and his future with the Pittsburgh Steelers here in the near future? Yeah, me and you kind of talked a little bit about that um, before the show. And this is the dead period of the offseason. I mean, it's just, it's hard to find inspiration to write about, to do podcasts about. That's why we're doing the greatest all time at certain positions this week leading up to training camp. And people get desperate and they write clickbait stuff. And you hear a lot of rumors right now and you're like, well, I don't make any sense. High Smith was just talking about how he's got a great relationship with God. They're close friends and that they have everything buttoned up for this extension, but they're just, you know, going over a few things here or there. It might just be where he's on vacation right now with his family and they're out doing something, and he's waiting. He's back in town to make everything official. Mm-hmm. But people, you know, they're like, okay, what could the Steelers do? Well, we know Hasmus is a really good player. He might have some trade value. Why in the world would you trade one of your best, league best, 
edge rushers. Him and what I think are the best edge rush tandem in the NFL. Why in the world? It makes no sense. Especially at his age, with his future, his potential, how he wants to be in Pittsburgh. He loves it here. He loves the culture, and he's a perfect fit. I mean, there's some training rumors I'm just like, well, you know, you never know. That one is absolutely ridiculous. And, you know, it could be that they find a, a snag somewhere, and he does a little bit like Watt did. Um, but if you remember, Watt went and told his agent, now I got this. He went and he said, let's just get it done. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I don't even think Highsmith will get to that point because Highsmith wants to improve. If we've seen anything, we're seeing a young man who was a college walk-on that has built himself, that he could have literally been in the Pro Bowl last year. That's how good and how far he's come. And I think he's only going to get better. And he understands that time away from his teammates hurts him, not just the team. And, you know, because he has a goal here. He wants to be the best and one of the best. So I expect him to be at camp. I don't expect there to be any issues. And like I said, I've said it's going to happen the week before or the week of uh, opening week of training camp. I think that's a good possibility. I, I see, you know, even if the Steelers were to, you know, pick up that phone and get calls for Alex Highsmith, who are they going to replace him with? The drop-off yeah. with the current, you know, outside linebacker position is huge. And there isn't like there is, you know, it's not like there's, you know, outside linebackers that are capable of doing what Alex Highsmith has been shown to or proven mm-hmm. to do, especially last season, out there just waiting to get picked up for three or $4 million a year. That's, that's not realistic. And so, you know, I don't find it to be, I think it very much well the same uh, thinking the same uh, as you are, that this is just, you know, clickbaity stuff and just to get some more, uh, you know, views in, but, and to go along with that, the other rumor that we want to, I want to talk to you guys about is Aaron Donald. I mean, that one has resurfaced. That surfaces every single off season or the Steelers <laughs> going to trade for, for Aaron Donald. Now, there was a ESPN um, article that was um, released, and it was uh, it was a top 10 defensive tackles um, for last year, for 2023. And it, it was created by executives, coaches, scouts that ranked the NFL. And in this article, it indicated that they felt that Cam Hayward was having a decline, that his age is catching up to him. Uh, He was ranked number five in 2022, jumped down to nine. And um, by one of the scouts stated, uh, and in quote, we thought he was starting to climb last year, which is expected to given his age. Well, first and foremost, one, did you see a decline last year in Cam Hayward? And two, um, you know, if there is a decline this year, do you see the Steelers perhaps around the trade deadline? Because that's kind of where, those rumors are indicating that if the Steelers go out and get an Aaron Donald, that it would be around the trade deadline, around the time that the Rams are figuring out there ain't going anywhere this year. And if the Steelers still have an opportunity to do something, maybe perhaps they pull that trigger. Uh, but first and foremost, do you think it's possible? Uh, what are your thoughts on Cam and um, any chance of this ever happening? I have if you follow my articles or even the podcast in the past uh, last season, there was a point uh, during the early part of the year that I thought Cam was slowing down. Mm-hmm. And I, and I mentioned it. I said, I don't know 
what I'm seeing, but it's not the normal Cam Hayward. Well, there's a perfectly obvious reason is because there was no T.J. Watt. And it allowed teams to focus and double-team Cam Hayward and Isaac, I mean, Alex Highsmith much easier. Well, Alex Highsmith had to deal with an endless chip blocks from running backs every time he would try to pass rush. Mm-hmm. And so that was the way they double-teamed him. But they did a lot of double-teams on Cam Hayward. So for an older player, I think 34 last year, an older mm-hmm. player that had to deal with that, he wore down. He got tired because they had to have him out there. He got very little rest. Mm-hmm. The second half of the season, he looked like himself again. With Now, TJ was back, but TJ was maybe 80% of his normal self. He was not the same pass rusher, not the same influencer. But he, just his presence helped Cam because they was not able to just focus on double teaming him. So I think that it was a resurgent Cam Hayward. And one of the reasons why in the second half is his snap count went well, well, way down. Right. And that was because they was able to rotate in some, give him more rest, but the offense kept possession of the ball. Their time of possession was the top best in the league in the second half of the season. So that meant more rest between series Less total snaps. Well, we've seen the Cam Hayward look like himself again. So, to me, that's one reason why they got Keanu Benton. And that's one reason why they signed Breeden uh, Fiaku and um, Armand Watts to get some depth there so that they can relieve Hayward more often and give him less snaps so they can keep him fresh. Because as the guy gets older, he needs fewer snaps just, you know, because he's going to wear it out quicker. Right, 100%. And I saw that as well. You know, I felt that last season, you know, when T.J. Watt went down, that there definitely was, you know, an overworking of Cam. It started. It sounded like, you know, in training camp last year that it seemed like they wanted to line the work for him, you know, line the load. And, and, and instead, they, I think they added more work. You know, we saw him in positions like on the edge, nose tackle and i mean he played all positions in the defensive line there and you know at his age you're absolutely correct i think if you know now with the steelers you know acquiring you know keanu benton in the draft you know larry ogunjobi is going to be healthy this year um you know i think that there's going to be an opportunity for cam to not be um you know that guy that has to carry the load so to speak and i think that's going to do wonders for his play while he's on the field i think that's going to prolong his career and, and perhaps maybe you know he may not get the double digit sacks because he's not on the field as much as he was before but while he's on the field i think he's going to make a huge impact and and i don't think it's going to be a huge loss in time either i don't think he's going to lose a tremendous amount but i do think that he is going to be on a snap count so to speak uh, just because i mean you know he's going to be 35 this year you know for for defensive tackle that's that's getting over yeah, it is. But, you know, like you – so what they were saying, I do agree with them that there has been some natural regression just due to age. I mean, nobody can beat defeat father time. I mean, it just doesn't happen. Sure. Now, as far as the Aaron Donald part, I didn't get to answer the second part of your question. It, Aaron Donald, 
I have not really. I've heard different rumors, just as you have. Mm-hmm. I don't know what's true and what isn't. I've heard that he has a trade clause that he can control where he wants to go, and that Pittsburgh's not one of the destinations he wants to go to. So I don't know. That's just what I've seen on Twitter. Right. Um, I don't know if he's Aaron Donald can play for anybody. I mean, he's just that good. Um, but you're getting a guy who's already talked about retiring after he won a Super Bowl. <laughs> and it would I would think it more likely that Aaron Donald retires in the near future than I would him being traded to Pittsburgh. Just I because agree. I think that what he's meant to that franchise, you know, he's up there with Deacon Jones and Burrow Olsen and, and Elder and them guys. I mean, some of the all-time great Ram players. And I I just, to me, I think he's the type of guy that he's saying, well, I'd rather retire than play for somebody else. Yeah, I agree. I, I think the fact that he also got a ring probably plays mm-hmm. a huge role into his decision-making whether or not he would want to continue to you know, play. Because he's, he's getting up there in age as well. He's not yeah. a spring chicken either. And so, um, you know, I, I can see that playing a role and, and, you know, him having a ring. And I think, you know, if, if it comes down to it, I, I think you're absolutely right that perhaps he would hang it up before playing for another team. Um, but one last, I guess it's not even a rumor anymore. It's probably a rumor from last year to talk about before we get into our player rankings um, is that, Apparently, Dove Kleeman out of Bro Bible um, wrote uh, that while J.J. Watt was on the Greenlight podcast with Chris Long, he did you know acknowledge that the Pittsburgh Steelers were a team that were high on his list last year as a team that he was considering joining, and that he thought that you know joining you know playing with T.J. and Derek Watt last year would have been huge, but the reason he ended up not doing so. Ended up being the financial. If he would have signed, then it would have been possibility that TJ's contract would have had to something would have had to been done with that one. Mm-hmm. But he did mention and acknowledge that the Steelers were indeed high on his list of potential teams. You know, I know he's retired now, but you know he's already talked about visiting training camp and being around. If he gets the itch, do you think that maybe perhaps the Steelers could be one of those teams that he goes and and contacts? Well, I think that all the players, you know, one of the things on their bucket list, if they get the opportunity, is to play for not only the Pittsburgh Steelers, but play for Mike Tomlin. Right. I mean, Mike Tomlin is like universally recognized as the player's coach. Players just connect with him. Um, He understands the business. He understands how to treat his athletes. I mean, one of the things that I think goes on, he doesn't get enough credit for, is that he kept Antonio Brown pretty much in check for him to have those incredible seasons he had. Now, if you go back, and people say CTE and that hit by Burfett in the playoff game and all this stuff, Antonio Brown was a knucklehead forever. He, he got in trouble at two colleges uh, for different, you know, issues. The guy was picked in the sixth round, even though he had a ton of talent. Mm-hmm. He comes to the pros, and he's trying to make the team as a kick returner, and he has a really good rookie year. But mm-hmm. he was having little, you know, 
He was trying to get in line. His work ethic improved. You know, he part of that Steelers culture, I think, that we talk about all the time, helped Brown. And it helped him focus. And then he went on to have a stretch of football that only Jerry Rice you could ever compare to. But the more stardom he got and he became a superstar, then it started going to his head and he started making very reckless decisions, whether it was on and off the field. And Mike Tomlin hit a lot of that. He allowed him to do things at training camp at Latrobe that the other players didn't get to do. How he did that without the other guys getting mad and pissed off and jealous, that shows a lot of how much they respected Tomlin and how much they wanted to win as a team. Because most times that happens on the team and it fragments the team. He fragmented the offense against the defenser with some fights he got into at training camp with Ryan Clark and uh, Ike Taylor. And he even, you know, the man made Troy Palomalo man. That's not easy to do. So right. Mike Tomlin has just, a, the, he has so much respect from the players because most coaches couldn't get away with that. You'd see it in the news. Oh, he's got favorites, favoritism. You know, this guy can do this. And, you know, you didn't see that. We didn't know about it until Brown finally went off the rail. So I think that J.J. was being honest that he would have loved to play for Tomlin. He would have loved to be in all three White brothers on the same team. But he was honest that the money was more important. Yeah. You know, because the Steelers couldn't pay him what he got. So, That's true. And, you know, so, I mean, I appreciate that honesty. I mean, guys all the time talk about how much this matters. They want to win a championship. And in the end, you know, you show what matters, and it's usually the money because that's what they chase. <laughs> uh, because yeah. there is opportunities. You got to admit, a lot of those guys that went to Tampa and played with Brady because that was the perfect confluence. That you know, you get the guy who was the biggest winner ever at quarterback on that team. They had money. They had a lot of young players, but they filled that roster around him with a lot of veterans who come to Tampa to play for a championship. And a lot of them got their Super Bowl playing on that team. So, you know, there was a time where guys were like, I can probably make a little more money over here, but if I go to Tampa, I can play for a championship. Yeah, 100%. And, I mean, depending on where you're at in your career, I think that's going to make the difference. And plus, I think at the time in which where J.J. Watt ended up signing with the Arizona Cardinals, you know, I think they had some players that were moving towards that area. You know, I think you had DeAndre Hopkins going out that direction. Kyler Murray was possibly going to be a guy. I mean, there was some word or talk or consideration of him. This is before, you know, he had the uh, no video games clause in his contract. And so, you know, all those things were going, you know, playing into that favor. I can understand that maybe perhaps he saw, you know, more money plus and, an opportunity to play in the playoffs um, and to maybe, maybe, you know, do something more um, hindsight. It's always 2020, obviously. Um, however, yeah, I think that maybe perhaps, you know, 
if he does get the itch, which I, I don't think I don't think he's coming back. I think he's going to stay retired. That's my my I don't opinion. Think he's coming back, no. But but if he does, it would be nice. But I think a lot of things have to happen. It, it would have to be more than just J.J. Watt wanting to come back. I think there would have to be like an injury or, or some sort of need for the Steelers to go out there and try to attract him to come out. Um, but even if he does come back, it's not going to be the three Watts. Derek Watt, I don't think he's going to be a member of the Steelers this upcoming season. Don't look like it. It doesn't look like it at all. And so it would only be two regardless. Um that's all we have for the rumor aspect. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to finally get into the discussion of, you know, best all-time Steeler centers. So don't go anywhere. YouTube, stay right here on the audio side. Just a few words from our sponsors. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. And we're back. Thank you for uh, <laughs> sticking with us and, and hanging on here on The Hangover. I'm Daniel alongside uh, Shannon White. Before we get into our um, next topic of discussion, do you have anything that is coming out here in the near future? I know you're uh, beyond the curtain call on Wednesday. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, my podcast partner, Jeffrey Benedict, had to step away from both the editorial and the podcast side. Um, mm -hmm. As a family caregiver, you know, he, there's only so many hours in a day and, you know, he has his priorities in order and, uh, so he's uh, stepping away for a while. And so we're trying to, uh, I've got, I've been having uh, Kevin Tate and Big G from the homies. They've been mm -hmm. uh, uh, filling in and we're going to, we're going to try to make that permanent and uh, move it forward. And I don't like change, but you know, uh, that's just being old and stubborn, but things happen and uh, it's been a great opportunity. Um and uh, so, so far, you know, everything's went really well. Uh, and now we got the another change coming up, as everybody knows, with the uh, uh, with our editorial side now moving to uh, Fans First Sports Network and uh, Still Curtain Network. And so uh, we've got a, a lot of changes here in the next little bit. And but it's still going to be the same quality articles and 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 hopefully entertaining and informative podcasts that we we already doing of course the podcast side we switched back in february so that's right. been a while and uh but um you know that's how life is it's full of changes and um you know a lot of times it's a another opportunity and an open door and uh so that's what we're we're uh uh, looking forward to here in you know the next few weeks uh and getting ready for the start of the next season yeah man i'm looking forward to it it's it's quickly approaching we're still still in that slow area and and as you know time gets closer time slows down in my opinion so yeah it, it it'll it, it will eventually get here but yeah. until then let's talk about the the players of the past so to speak and and so today we're going to be talking about the center position. 
first and foremost, who is your favorite center that you've seen play for the black and gold? And who is your, who do you think is the best center to have played? Is it the same person? Is it two different players? And, and this is from your personal view. Yeah. Like last week was tough. When yeah. we were talking about the edge guys, I mean, I would just, I kept going around Jack Ham, Greg Lloyd, Debo, you know, and it just, it was so hard. This one is easier. Yeah. Now I'm going to start yeah. out, but I'm going to give the top five. Okay. Uh, and it's Mike Webster, Dermani, Dirk Dawson, Marquise Pouncey, Ray Mansfield, who's definitely before your time. Yeah. <laughs> and Jeff Hardy's. And I know you're very familiar with Jeff Hardy's. Yes. When you consider those five centers have been the primary centers for the Pittsburgh Steelers from late 60s to 2020, the Steelers have an unmatched stability in the coaching, head coaches, three. But they've really had five primary centers because there was a two or three-year period there that they had, you know, a couple of guys that were more journeymen and, uh, but that pretty much those five guys cover that whole time frame. Mm-hmm. Now, my favorite I ever watched was Mike Webster. Yeah. Now, when I talk about Mike Webster, you understand I love offensive linemen. But offensive line, you know, when I talk about my favorite players, hardly any offensive linemen come up. Mike Webster's always up there at the top. Mm-hmm. Um, and the best center that I ever seen was Mike Webster. Now, some proof of why he was so great. Nine Pro Bowls. Yeah. Um, eight All-Pro teams. Well, you know, the, he was seven uh, All-Pro teams, but he really made eight. But you'd have to look at the numbers. Um, you're talking about a guy who was the starting center on the all-time team of the 70s and the 80s. And he played from 74 to 90. So his career actually covered three decades. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. Yeah. Mike Webster was 6'1 and 255. Now he got bigger, obviously, as his career went on. Uh, The guy was a freak. I mean, he was a weightless. He was like Debo before Debo. He was so strong. But he had shorter arms because he was a shorter man. He was a great wrestler, so he understood leverage. But he was one of the strongest players I've ever seen. And what he could do to guys that was, you know, back then players were slightly smaller. But he could manhandle guys and just impose his will. But what he had to do, now you think about it, Daniel, he he had to repeatedly ram his head into the sternum and the chest of these defenders because his arms were shorter. So yeah. he had to get inside. So he, so if you watched him play, I've never seen a guy have so much uh, contact with the top of his helmet because he had to because he was going up against bigger guys. Right. There's guys that stood out through the years. And I get passionate and I get excited talking about Mike Webster. But I've never seen a guy. There was times that Webster come off. He looked like he was working construction in 110-degree heat. <laughs> You know, with no water. He would be on the sidelines, and you could tell he was hurting. He was bleeding. 
because he didn't wear a sleeve, so you can see straight mark stuff. Um, he was he looked exhausted, like he'll never be able to go back in the game, but he never missed. He had the record for the most consecutive games. That's why they called him Iron Mike. Yeah, the guy was like you, Earl Campbell. We talked about running backs a while back, and I said the best power back, you know, I ever seen was Earl Campbell. Mm-hmm. But Earl Campbell, you watch him. There was no joy in his game. He he would he run over people. He didn't have Bettis's quick feet and all, so he would run over people, and then the teammates would have to help him up. And you're like, well, he's done. He'd get back to the huddle limping, and then he'd run another big run the next play. That's how it was watching Mike Webster. You know, you had Hines Ward had that smile on his face, and it just exuberant joy in his game. You know, some guys stand out for their passion. You had Lloyd with his intensity. Right. You know, some guys stand there. The two guys I always think of that look miserable was Earl Campbell at running back and Mike Webster at center. But it does not he, – he was that passionate. He loved the game that he'd give everything he had to give for all them seasons. And it doesn't shock me that he'd become the poster child for CTE – and all the, the health issues he had after he retired, because that man took a beating like I had never seen. Just because of how he had to play the game. So the Steelers have had some incredible centers. Like I said, to me, the two best centers I've ever seen is Mike Webster and then the guy he trained as a rookie was Demonte Dawson. And Demonte Dawson was just that good as well. But when you look at everything, what he accomplished, the four Super Bowls, the the all-decades teams, the Hall of Fame, um, nobody compares to Mike Webster. Yeah, 100%. I've, I didn't get the privilege to watch it and play live. I've seen some highlights. I've seen some of the classic games between the Steelers and, and some of their Super Bowl opponents and things of that nature. And I've been able to see and appreciate it from that aspect of it, but I wasn't around then. Mm-hmm. And so when I put my list together um, – you know, I started watching, you know, Pittsburgh Steelers football in the 90s. Uh, I, I was a little bit more limited. And so for me, on my five, number five, I have, and two of them really probably shouldn't be on the top five list. But number five, I have uh, Mason Cole because he make, he looks like an all pro next to Kendrick Green. Um, you have, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have uh, Justin Hartwig because he, uh, he helped the Pittsburgh Steelers get a Super Bowl. And then, and then I have my three probably real top players at the center position, which would be, you know, Justin Hardings, uh, Dermani Dawson and, and Marquise Pouncey. And so, um, and for me, my favorite of those three centers probably would be Marquise Pouncey to watch. You know, I thought he was, uh, his ability to get out in open field and, and his physicality and his athleticism put him over the top. And I thought that he was, probably uh, one of the best centers in the league while he was, you know, playing the position. And so, you know, I I thought he did great. I think Dermonte Dawson was, in my opinion, probably the better player uh, than than Marquise Pouncey overall. Uh, But I was a little kid back then. So my (laughs) what I remember is is not very much. And, and, you know, their their highlight, I guess, when it comes to – the furthest they've gone, which was reaching the Super Bowl in 95, 96, uh, is a game that I've only seen once. <laughs> so uh, I have not seen yet uh, since, and I, I don't plan on watching that game. Near, nor no, you do don't I, want to relive it. 
Yeah, I don't want to really, especially <laughs> uh, coming from Texas, my man. You know, that was a painful, painful couple of weeks there, you know. And so, um, that game, the the 45 against uh, the Packers is another game. I think I saw the highlights for the first time not too long ago. And I, I, there's a lot of things I didn't even remember, but I've not watched the entire game, you know, mm-hmm. since then. But to me, those guys are the guys that are the stable point for the center position. Um, you know, to me, I think that when you look at those guys, I think they could still play today in their prime. Oh. You know, a you know, I feel that they're not. Uh, this position isn't too far ahead. Like for instance, some people will look at you know the quarterback position, and we're going to talk about that in, mm-hmm. in a couple of weeks. But they'll look at the quarterback position and say, well, the game has changed. The running back position, the game has changed. The usage, the dependability on those two positions, especially like on the running back position, is no longer to that level. It's more so, you know, more dependent on the quarterback now. And, you know, the center position has somewhat changed. They're more in charge of, you know, um, cover, I mean, protections and things of that nature and, and you know, helping their quarterback um, than before. But I do feel that all these guys had it upstairs that they could have been able to continue to do that to this day. Uh, it's it's a fantastic position. And you, you, you mentioned how you have Mike Webster and then Dermani Dawson. Those two guys played consecutively. You know, it yep. went from Mike Webster to Damani mm-hmm. Dawson. So, you know, that that increases the bar very high, you know, for Marquise Pouncey. One right. thing I failed to mention is Dermani Dawson was the, you know, all-decade center of the 90s. Right. Marquise Pouncey was the all-decade center of the 2010s. Yeah. So, I mean, we're t- you're talking about for the last – that's 40 years worth mm-hmm. of – all decade team centers on one team. They ain't nobody can touch that. Not even come no. close. I mean, you talk about some teams, you know, you talk about a Dwight Stevenson uh, or an Otto for the Raiders back in the seventies. There's been some other, you know, good centers did not have the longevity of the Steelers center and did not. And they're looking to have one on their franchise list. Yeah. And the Steelers, you know, I, uh, the only thing I would give Damani Dawson, Damani Dawson and Marquise Pouncey, you, you don't remember Dawson much because of your age, but right. Pouncey and him were very similar in that they were very athletic. Um, You know, really stood out at the center yeah. position, how athletic, quick feet, you know, light on their feet, could pull. I mean, the stewards have loved to pull their centers forever. But Pouncey, his one weakness – is he struggled with power and size right over him. Mm-hmm. If he had a big, massive nose tackle. Now, thankfully, in his career, at that point, you're starting to see less and less of those guys like Casey Hampton, Vince Wolford, those massive nose tackles that just overpower you. And and Pouncey struggled with that size. Right. That was where Demonte Dawson had a huge advantage on Pouncey. Is that even though... Dawson was that kind of athlete. He just understood leverage and he never struggled against power and size right over him. So that's why Pouncey had to come in at, at number three on my list, but just because um, of that truth that Pouncey did struggle with size. Um, Ray Mansfield is the guy that taught Mike Webster a lot. But you've got to look at Ray Mansfield that he played in the late 60s on some of the worst Steeler teams ever. Went through that, took it. I mean, 
he was one of the few guys that Chuck Noll retained when he took mm-hmm. over as coach. And they called him Ranger because he loved the outdoors and everything. And but Chuck Noll said that he was his um the connection between the new Steelers and the and the old Steelers. And he could you know, he could remind people, remember how bad we was? We're gonna buy in all in on what Coach Noel is wanting trying to do here because we don't want to be a laughing stock anymore. And he knows how to win. He's been a part of winning organizations. So he was very valuable. People, you know, we talk about who was the most important stiller of all time. It's Joe Green, no doubt. Nobody will argue that because Joe Green's the foundation of everything. But on offense, that guy who was that foundation back in those days was Ray Mansfield. And I and I think that a lot of times we forget about him when we talk about the all-time great Stiller centers, but Ray Mansfield was a great player. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to see him. But uh, who, in your opinion, you know, we've talked about a lot of these great, you know, centers. Uh, who do you think is probably the most unra- uh, underrated center that's played for the Pittsburgh Steelers? Well, I, I already said Ray Mansfield. Just, you know, like I said, because um, – but I would have to say uh, Hardings because, mm-hmm. you know, again, Hardings come from Detroit where he was already a good player. But he took his game up a level when he got to Pittsburgh. And he really – embraced the um the legacy mm-hmm. and what it meant see i think you've seen that a little bit last year for mesa cole i know you mentioned him kind of it was almost like a joke but it really isn't because guys who come in and they see a legacy that a franchise has and they buy into that that's very very valuable and and one thing that cole does measure up to some of these guys we're talking about is his communication, his leadership, what he meant to Kenny Pickett. Now, this was Kenny Pickett freely volunteering in a podcast of what it meant to have Mason Cole to help him. Because people don't understand that the center quarterback connection, how valuable and vital that is. And you'll see a lot of great quarterbacks. You talk about Peyton Manning, you talk about Jeff Saturday. Right, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. Dan Reno had Dwight Stevenson. You know, uh, there there's a lot of quarterbacks that were very very successful for a long time. They trusted that center to call out line adjustments and protections, and there's a trust factor there. So, um, I really, I, I think I've lived up to that unbelievable legacy that could have been suffocating for him, but he fully embraced it and he was a great player. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. And for me, you know, I, I, I echo a lot of the same stuff that you just mentioned, you know, um, <clears throat> Hardings was my um, guy that I thought was probably the most underrated as well, but just for the sake of being different, I guess you know, for me, I guess, then the next person that would be probably one of the more underrated guys uh, would be uh, Justin Hartwig. He was the guy that I mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, he won a Super Bowl for the Pittsburgh Steelers. He uh, he only played two seasons, and you know he 
he had a pretty devastating holding penalty in that one in the Super Bowl. Uh, ended up working out for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, I think that ended up costing the the Steelers a safety. Um, but in, in the end, he ended up getting a ring. You, you don't get a ring without being good. You know, you can't yeah. Yeah. you can't be a, a decent player and get a ring at the same time. Now I know. You know, a lot of why the Pittsburgh Steelers made it to the Super Bowl offensively had to do with, you know, on the shoulders of Ben Roethlisberger and his arm. And and Antonio, I mean, not Antonio, but uh, Santonio Holmes, that not just the play um, at the end of that Super Bowl that was magnificent, but that entire drive. Um, and in fact, that entire playoff, you know, run, the whole playoffs. Yeah. Yeah. He was he was one of the main reasons, if not mm-hmm. the main reasons why the Pittsburgh Steelers were able to get into the Super Bowl. And so, you know. A lot of folks, and including myself, think that maybe perhaps Ben Roethlisberger was stolen a, a Super Bowl MVP. But when you look at that entire playoff um, performance by San Antonio Holmes, I think that uh, that it's rightfully so. Uh, but to circle back, you know, Hardwig was a part of that team. Mm-hmm. You know, he was a part of the team that got to hoist the Sticky Lombardi number six. And, you know, I think that he may be one of those guys that is extremely underrated amongst, you know, being overshadowed by such great players, you know, that the Pittsburgh Steelers have had in the position. And so I know you mentioned up mentioned a little bit earlier about how Mason Cole stacks up to the current or, you know, how the current player Mason Cole would stack up to these greats. Uh, do you ever see a Mason Cole being able to, you know, be in the, uh, I guess, same breath of air as some of these guys no um you know the guys we're talking about that have that longevity uh with webster and dawson and pouncey uh i think pouncey will be in the hall of fame it, you know it was a travesty that it that Demonte dawson had to wait like three years to get in uh, yeah. i thought it was ridiculous but it was at a point of time where there was a lot of great players going in mm-hmm. each year and it kind of uh, because Webster was first ballot, Dawson should have been first ballot because Dirt was that good. Um, but I think Pouncey will, but I think you'll have to wait a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, he, like I said, he did have that one weakness. The teams knew uh, how to hinder the Steelers' interior running game, um, especially as he got older. So, um, but I love Mason Cole. I, I just think that people are sleeping on him. Mm-hmm. Everybody's like, well, we got to get our next great center and, and they're going to draft an, uh, an upgrade. And um, it wouldn't shock me to, at all to see Mason Cole excel this year. You know, being, you know, sandwiched between Samalu and and Daniels. I mean, that's the, my opinion, the best guard tandem in the NFL. And with Cole's communication, his leadership, I think he's going to be – he knows he's the starter going into camp, so I think mm-hmm. he's going to really get stronger, work on anything he needed to work on. Uh, I, it wouldn't shock me to see him get a second contract and the Steelers yeah. look elsewhere with their draft picks and stuff like that because Mason Cole's not an, an elderly player. You know, he's just now entering his prime. And, and I just think he's a lot better than people give him credit for. I do too. I think he's better than what he gets credit for. He could be a guy that ends up having a, a lengthy career. He's still fairly young. I yeah. think he's in his yeah. early, you know, mid twenties right now. And so, you know, he could still have a lengthy career with the Pittsburgh Steelers and, you know, depending on what he does with that career could determine, um, 
where he lands amongst the greats. I don't think he has the the pedigree there, you know, to get up there. But you know, you you, you never know. I mean, if a uh, you know Hartwig or Hardings can 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 get up there, I think Mason Cole does have that has that opportunity. I think health is going to play a big role. And you know, I think what also helps him is his surrounding cast. You know, having a Sam Malu on one side and a James Daniels on the other. Uh, isn't doesn't hurt, and so <laughs> I think There's that's only no going to make him get better. That Mason Cole can't be like a Jeff Hardy's, right? You know, I mean, uh, because you know, where some guys were talking about the Demonte Dawson and Marquise Bouncy were elite athletes. Mike Webster was freakishly strong and tough and durable, um, and, and a good athlete because he could pull and everything. Right. You know, Mason Cole don't measure up in those two categories with those guys, but he is kind of more of a fit for today's NFL and, and the way play teams play and the way they utilize their offensive linemen. We're going to see a lot of outside, outside zone, I believe, uh, moving forward since they've upgraded at guard and at tackle. So um, I, I think that he's just a really good fit. For the culture, just like I said about Harding's buying in to the legacy of the position, mm-hmm. I believe Mason Cole does too. Yeah, no, I agree. I think he does. And like we said, you know, having those players around him are going to be oh, very yeah. helpful for his, you know, his continued development. And so as we as we do when we talk about these position players and, and this position ranking, um, who would you replace our current Mason Cole currently with – a player in their prime of the past. Is there anybody in particular? Would you keep Mason? Um, well, I mean, if you could bring up uh, a Webby or, or Dermonte Dawson, um, here's the thing. As great as Mike Webster was, and what we got to remember is a lot of those guys on them still curtain teams, they were surrounded by Hall of Fame players. Mm-hmm. And that makes a difference. And it will on some of the voting as this series goes on. Right. But Mike Webster did not have other Hall of Fame players next to him. Mike Webster was the center of everything, the center of that foundation on the offensive line. And he was the Hall of Famer. Mm-hmm. That cast changed around him through the years. He was the one constant. So, therefore, that is the difference. But Webster, if you brought him to today, he still would be 6'1", and he'd probably be maybe 300 pounds now. But right. uh, so for that for that reason, I would have to say Dermonte Dawson would be the guy that I would bring to the modern Pittsburgh Steelers because Dawson had more size than, you know, he was also super strong. Nobody was strong like Webster, but Dawson was strong. Dirk could get mm-hmm. it done. But – Dirt had that athleticism, that ability to move. He could play in this era easily and dominate. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's nobody playing today, and I'm a big Creed Humphrey fan with the Chiefs at center, but there's nobody in today's game that could touch Demonte Dawson. I agree 100%. I think that that would be the player that I would be bringing back as well. Yeah. I think that, you know, when you mentioned Webster, uh, he's a guy that I didn't get a chance to see, but he's also a guy that you mentioned that you can't coach size. You can't. No coach him up to be taller, things like that. And so Dermani Dawson, I would select him over 
um, for instance, like a Marquis Pouncey because of the bull rush and the size aspect mm-hmm. of that. Yep. You know, Marquis Pouncey is a little bit on the smaller end. And, you know, when you have and you and you see what the Pittsburgh Steelers are doing offensively with their offensive line, it seems like they're adding girth and weight and size. Big time. And so I don't I don't know if you want to put something somebody small in the middle there. So, <laughs> well, his arms were short. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it really Webby's arms were short. And that would be a problem with these monsters they have now. These guys like Chris Jones at six six, six seven. I mean, yeah. he would have been in a disadvantage uh lengthwise. And we see what yeah. happened to Kendrick Green. You try to put a guy with short, you know, as they say, T Rex arms in there. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a difficult job for them boys. <laughs> yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, it'd be interesting to see uh, you know, Mike Webster going up against a Jordan Davis. I mean, those are some big yeah, difference yeah, in size yeah. there, and so one hundred percent. And so, so for me, I, I think that Dermani Dawson would be the guy that I would also bring back. Uh, his ability to get out and and his athleticism and his size mm-hmm. and his strength, I think, kind of put that all together for today's NFL and today's you know, offensive line. And especially with today's Steelers offensive line, like I mentioned, mm-hmm. you know, building up the girth, getting in, you know, the, the big guys, so to speak. So, yeah, I think this was a, this was a great podcast, man. I, I really oh, yeah. enjoyed it. Uh, do you have any uh, final words before we let everybody go? No, just, uh, I, I think that each, each position we're trying to build up. Yeah. We'll, and we'll each position, there. this was one that there was, such a legacy that I wanted to make sure that we got to focus on the centers. Now next week we're going to go cornerback and we know it's going to be the big two and that's going to be interesting and a fun discussion, but we're going to, you know, the final week, the final Monday before training camp starts is the granddaddy of them all. It's the quarterback position. And I know that there is two camps and there is passionate people in both camps. And we're going to try to put this debate to rest once and for all. So um, these next two weeks is going to be interesting. <laughs> it sure will. I'm looking forward to I'm looking forward to the cornerback position because there's yeah. that position's had had some had a couple of but yeah, you're right. There's two at the top. Yep. And yep. you know, the same thing at the quarterback position. That's going to be a big debate and I'm looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you guys haven't checked out the audio side only, go check out wherever you find your audio podcast. You know, whether it's Google, Apple, Spotify, the whole nine yards, uh, just search up Steel Curtain Network. You'll find us on Saturdays. Uh, I have an episode called State of the Steelers. It's on the audio side only. Make sure you go back and check that out. Without further ado, uh, Shannon, take us out. Woo!